Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. Now on SportsCenter at 6, Steph Curry hurt his ankle for the second time this season. What are the Warriors' long-term concerns for their MVP? Plus, are LeBron James and the Cavs desperate for a difference maker to put them over the top? As the Eagles, Patriots, Steelers, and company get ready for the divisional round of the playoffs, what are the biggest pressure points for each matchup? You don't know? Excuse me. Here's Michael Smith and Jamel Hill. <laughs> the electric slide that made it. Uh, what it do, boys and girls? Let's set the table for the evening. We not only have an exciting night in the NBA, but trade talk with Woj a little later on in the show. Plus, wait until we tell you where Alabama defensive back Mika Fitzpatrick was when Alabama scored its game-winning touchdown to win the national championship in overtime. But first, let's start with a pretty significant NBA injury. All right, the words no Golden State fan wants to hear, Steph Curry and ankle injury. Uh, Curry slipped during shoot-around today and sprained his right ankle and will not play tonight against the Clippers. It's the same ankle that Curry injured last month when he missed 11 games in December. And uh, unfortunately, uh, Steph and ankle injuries kind of go together like hummus and pita bread. Thought you'd appreciate that, Mike. Uh, this is not the first time Steph will have missed time with an ankle injury. Or the second, Steph has missed games on 13 different occasions in his career with ankle injuries dating back to 2010, including a sprained ankle last month, as I mentioned, that cost him 11 games. And with that, Chris Haynes joins us now. So, Chris, uh, it was reported that he slipped in shoot-around. Tell us exactly what happened. Well, it was the latter part of shoot around. It was prior to Stephen Curry going going in and doing his. He, he likes to do a routine where he sh- uh, shoots about a hundred threes, and then he goes in and do, do does layups. So before it got to that point, I, I was told by one person, you know, within the organization that they believe it was a wet spot. The others in the organization couldn't confirm that. So the Warriors still don't know exactly how it happened. And obviously, Stephen Curry, like you guys said, injured that right ankle last uh, last month. But they don't they don't know if it was still tender or not. So they're still going through the whole evaluation process with him. But I would not be surprised, given how cautious they've been with all their players this season, if Stephen Curry sits a few games out. Uh, this is just an ankle uh, ankle injury history with this guy. It's something that they just they just do not want to play with. All right. Now, given his history, as you just mentioned, what's the level of concern that you can sense among the Warriors? Talking to a few people um, that I've spoken with, look, there's really not a level of concern. The way I take it is this is just a precautious situation, a cautious situation that is, and they just want to make sure when he comes back he's uh, 100% healthy. I was told that when he slipped, he kind of uttered something and then smiled on his way walking back to the training room. So it was something that sounded like he was initially scared of, but then I, I guess once the feeling came it wasn't too bad and I, I just think the war is right now just being cautious with them all right chris not only thank you for joining us but thank you for also getting a haircut on the way here because you know my informants told me that you got lined up right fast just to make an appearance <laughs> on the six <laughs> look all right appreciate it for you jamil <laughs> all right now curry had played in five games since returning from his most recent ankle sprain and have been absolutely lighting it up averaging 35 5 and 5 while shooting over 50 percent from the floor and from three 
The Warriors will miss Steph, too, as they've averaged nearly 15 fewer points per 100 possessions when he sits this season. All right, now let's uh, do a little football talk as we get closer to the weekend's divisional round. We're going to take a look at some areas of concerns for the teams that are left standing. And we begin with the Steelers, who will meet Jacksonville on Sunday. The best news for the Steelers, who are looking to avenge, rather, their 30-9 loss to the Jags in Week 5. San Antonio Brown had his first practice in over three weeks after suffering a leg contusion against the Pats a month ago. But the Steelers have other injury concerns bubbling that are also cause for concern. And with that, we welcome in Jeremy Fowler. Um, after today's practice, what injuries are vexing the Steelers right now? Yeah, Jamel, the Steelers' biggest playoff problem right now is those mounting injuries on the defensive side of the ball because this was a defense just starting to get adjusted to the loss of linebacker Ryan Shazier. And now, as of today, two key players on the injury report, Stephon Tuitt, defensive end with an elbow issue. Cornerback Artie Burns has a knee issue that has required an MRI, awaiting details on that. Now, they have a couple days to heal up, and they do have depth at both those spots. But this is a defense that needs everybody intact in order to prevent the problem of giving up these huge, passing plays. In the last eight games alone, Steelers have given up 10 passes of 40 or more yards. And that's against a not-so-impressive stable of quarterbacks, including three backups. So some of that was without quarterback Joe Hayden. He's back now. I spoke with Hayden. He said, look, if we give up the 5 to 10-yard passes by the sideline, that's all good. We can win that way. It's when the ball's going over our head on a double move 40 yards downfield. That's how we lose in the playoffs. And so Hayden might be trying to formulate that plan without his guy, Burns. Back to you. All right. Thanks a lot, Jeremy. Appreciate it. Now, regardless, uh, this season was the biggest news, rather, out of this practice today was Ryan Shazier. He attended practice today for the first time since he suffered a spinal injury last month. Shazier posted this on Instagram. I want to thank the Lord for the first downs that he has been allowing me to achieve. The touchdown is going to come in his timing, but today was a first down. Good news. Hey, Mike Reese. How are you? What's up, Michael? Michael Smith. I'm doing great. (laughs) I love talking to you. What's the most pressing concern for the Patriots heading into their playoff game? We're keeping it simple here, Michael. You know, you've heard the Patriots have a 40-year-old quarterback. His name is Tom Brady. Keep him off the ground. And along those lines, the Patriots practiced in full pads uh, in, uh, today inside Gillette Stadium. I talked to some offensive linemen. They said that was important for them just to practice with the tempo that they hope to play with. And, Michael, you know this. Look back at the Patriots' history. In games in which playoff games they've been heavily favored, where has it broken down when they've surprisingly lost when the big guys up front didn't play their best game? Super Bowl 42 against the Giants, probably the clear-cut classic example of that. When I mentioned this to starting center David Andrews, he said that's especially true against a good defensive front like the Titans. He said it's up to them to allow their skill position players to make plays and, of course, keep Tom Brady clean. Way to make plays, Mike Reese. Meanwhile, here's why I pull for Blake Bortles, okay? Wait, how come they, how come the Titans can't keep Blake Bortles' name <laughs> out of their mouth? Why Everybody does Blake comes Bortles from, comes from Blake Bortles? They want to make Brady look like Bortles. Why does Brady? Why does Bortles have to be the poster child for bad quarterback play? Why? That's it's still, it's just, it's not fair. <laughs> Meanwhile, here's here's Blake clapping back. How many more games you gotta win? How much more do you have to do to silence the haters? Yeah, it'll probably never stop. 
And there's people that think LeBron James sucks. So if that happens, I'm sure there'll be a lot of people that always think I suck. All right. We're back here. We are. We got an NBA doubleheader, although a little bit of the buzz been taken out of the second game with Steph Curry slipping and shoot around today, re-injuring that same ankle that cost him 11 games. Adrian Wojnarowski is with us. What more can you tell us about Steph? And Chris Haynes told us they've taken a cautious approach. Is it more than that? How concerned are they? Well, they're not too concerned at all. In fact, um, I'm told there won't be an x-ray, no MRI on it. Uh, they're always going to err on the side of caution in Golden State uh, with any of their key players. They, they don't have to play them in any game. So, as Chris reported, he will sit tonight's game. They have a back-to-back with Milwaukee and Toronto uh, Friday, Saturday, and, and there's some optimism he could be back by then. Yeah, and I'm sure that that's probably a perfect opportunity to continue to maybe rest him a little bit with those back-to-backs. Um, let's move on, move on to some trade talk. Now, we just saw the Cavs. They got blown out by Minnesota. They're third right now in the East. Um, are, are they looking to make any moves to maybe move up or just to kind of bring some new life to this team right now? Because they don't seem to be quite where they probably want to be. There's no question. And, and in talking to Cavs officials, they feel like they're trying to figure out what their new identity is now with Isaiah Thomas and to get him integrated into playing. Defensively, they've been awful, and they've, they've been on a run, really as bad as anybody in the league. Um, their question in Cleveland right now is they have that pick from Brooklyn, in the, from the Boston, from the Isaiah Thomas-Kyrie Irving trade. In w- what case would they use it? And, and it would only to be to get a difference-making star player. They've talked with the Clippers about DeAndre Jordan. They will not use that pick. So far, they will not use that pick with them. But that they do have their own first-round pick this year, though, and that will be included and has been included in trade talks. But they aren't going to move on Jordan yet. They're going to wait and see who else becomes available. Does potentially a DeMarcus Cousins, a Paul George, do players like that get on the market before February 8th? Neither is. Both teams that I just mentioned still plan to re-sign, try to re-sign uh, uh, Paul George, DeMarcus. But Cleveland's going to wait and see. They're big game hunting. Mm, okay. All right. Should be interesting to Appreciate see what they come there. up with. All right, thank you. All right, uh, entering the season, the Warriors and Celtics have the best chance to reach the NBA Finals in their respective conferences with the Cavs just behind the Celtics. But the Rockets, a distant second to Golden State. Now at the halfway point of the season, the Warriors are still the favorites out west. But it's the Raptors who now have the best shot in the East at 50%, while the Cavaliers have dropped all the way to just 7%. All right, coming up, we have the Thunder and T-Wolves. Uh, right now, the, I know you're looking at the, make the video. <laughs> that jacket is smoking, though. Yeah, that's a nice jacket. Yeah, Thunder have lost the last four out of six. T-Wolves, they're really, really surging uh, right now, so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. For that, we bring in, of course, Doris Burke. As I mentioned, the, the Thunder, they have been struggling lately, but it's been the exact opposite with Minnesota. They've been playing great, currently fourth in the West, and they just annihilated the Cavs on Monday night. So why has this team been on fire lately, uh, D.B.? That's everything to do with the defensive end of the floor. And finally, I think Tom Thibodeau is seeing some results that he would like to see. And I think, Jamel, the acquisitions of Jimmy Butler and Taj Gibson have made all the difference in the world for this particular organization. 
when you think about what Jimmy Butler brings to the floor and Taj Gibson. Taj has always been able to protect the paint. In the era of switchability, he is a guy who's got great length. Jimmy Butler is a guy who defensively, yes, he's strong enough to deal with LeBron James. If you need him to guard on the interior, he can do that as well. He also is very switchable. So the acquisition of these two guys crucial because of the defense that they can play across positions and then their ability to make the right plays late in game, which as you know, a year ago, the Minnesota Wolves could not close games. Now, all of a sudden, those two areas much better. All right, let's go back to the Thunder for a minute. As I said, they seem, they seem to not be able to get it right this season. At first, they had offensive issues. They seemed to shore those up. And now their defense seems to need a little bit of fixing. So what's going on there with their defense? Right, three straight games, uh, Jamel, where they're averaging giving up 114 points per game. We just sat down with Carmelo Anthony. He said, listen, the, the very nature of putting the three stars together has been a challenge. He said, I came here expecting to average 30 points per game. It wasn't until we started to struggle a little bit that we all looked at each other and said, hold on a second. We've got to adapt and adjust. One of the things each guy pointed to in last night's loss at home was a lack of effort. And for that, you know, that's the concerning piece. For a team that remains now sixth in the West, looking opposite a team they could face in the playoffs, I'm really anxious to see what this matchup brings tonight, Jamel. All right, we will hear more from Doris tonight. Uh, this is the Wednesday doubleheader as it tips off 8 Eastern as we just talked about these two teams. You got Russ Carmelo, PG, OKC against Cat and the crew. And Can we have Mystical Hiago as every last shot background? <laughs> you are if you are about it, then we'll take you to Oracle for DeAndre Jordan and the Clippers and Steph, or no Steph, sorry, uh, Dubs Warriors. All right, LaFonso Ellis, uh, he'll be with us in just a moment. But Duke Pittsburgh, that's the till at 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2. Uh, not going to lie, uh, I exaggerated the term showdown, but Duke is coming off a loss to NC State. And probably what's most concerning to Coach K right now is the fact that the Blue Devils, they haven't been great defensively lately. Not used to seeing that, LaFonso. The 96 points they gave up to NC State was the fifth time in seven games they've allowed at least 80 points. So, LaFonso, what is going on with Duke's defense right now? Uh, their new team, young, the youngest team that Coach K has had. And one of the areas that you struggle when you're young on the, is on the defensive end. The communication is not there. They have not been very good in ball screen situations, whether it be on the top ball screen, side ball screens. The communication is not very good for Duke right now, and that's why they've struggled. In three ACC games, they've given up over 90 points to three teams that are averaging about 68 points a game. Not a good sign for the Blue Devils. No, not at all. But one of the best signs that they have is that they have Marvin Bagley III, an amazing player. So in watching him, LaFonso, who would you compare him the most to? When I think of Marvin Bagley III, I think of Chris Bosch. And I'll tell you why. Both of those guys are back-to-the-basket first guys who have the ability to step out on the floor and knock down a three-point shot. Chris Bosch is, had learned how to step away from the basket, knock down a three ball, but also could catch it on the wing and take the basketball to the rim. Marvin Bagley does some of the same things. Chris Bosch, at this stage of his career, was a better three-point shooter, but when it comes to scoring down in the post, rebounding the basketball, running the floor, and taking advantage of slower players that are guarding them. I like Chris Bosh, and you can't say much about that. Chris Bosh, 11-year NBA All-Star, over $100 million 
dollars in earnings in Miami alone. Pretty good guy to emulate if you're Marvin Bagley III. And a, and a certain Hall of Famer, uh, Marvin Bagley, averaging 22 and 11, shooting 64% from the field. A lot of people will be watching that kid tonight. Thanks for joining us. The eagle likes to soar. Falcon is aggressive. And it's caught! Oh my goodness! Falcons, Eagles. Both teams run it. Both teams are good defending the run. We are natural hunting creatures. Rush coming and they get they're it. Fast, they're fine with the football. They're playing their best defense at the right time. We're gonna go out there with this edge that we have. Close look. Close fight. A wild card team favorite over the number one seed. People doubting us every week, so we just want to go out and shut those doubters up. We're not here just to get here. We want to make noise while we're here. It's going to be loud. It's going to be cold. We're going to be ready. Go out there and play our best game. Birds of a feather walk together. Pressure. Push it down on me. Press it down on you. Talking playoff pressure points for the eight remaining participants. Starting with the Falcons and Jeff Darlington. Jeff, what's the Falcons' most pressing area of concern? Michael, the red zone. They have to get better in the red zone if they're going to make a deeper run in the playoffs at this point. I spent a lot of time here in Flowery Branch talking to these guys about getting that red zone offense better, and that includes Julio Jones, who at times has not been very involved in that red zone office because of how much defenses are doing to try to stop him. Now, the one theme that I took out of my time here talking to Matt Ryan about this, was that they need to establish the run better once they get inside that 20-yard line. If they can establish the run, it will open up the passing game. But guys, the red zone was better this past week, 2 of 4 against the Rams, but still not nearly good enough. Dan Quinn is putting an emphasis on it. they got to score more touchdowns if they're going to make it to the Super Bowl again. And to that end, Jeff Darlington, thank you very much for that report. When it comes to getting into the end zone, once they reach the red zone, 54 times this season the Falcons did, seventh most in the NFL. They ranked in the bottom 10, though, of the league in both touchdown and scoring percentage. That's both worst of any of the 12 playoff teams. And a far cry from last year when they scored on 92% of their red zone drives. That was third best in the NFL. As for their counterparts in Philadelphia, Sal Pal, what's the Eagles' most pressing area of concern? Is Nick Foles all right? That's the big question going into this game, right, Michael? When I talked to Malcolm Jenkins today, he said Nick Foles had been more vocal in practice. When I talked to Alshon Jeffrey, he said Nick Foles has been more relaxed in the last couple of days. The bottom line is it's exactly one month ago today, December 10th, in Los Angeles when Carson Wentz got hurt, and this team is still trying to figure out whether Nick Foles is going to be all right for the playoffs. Here's Nick Foles talking about it. A win. I don't care how we get the win. Um, we're in the playoffs, and we got to get a win. And obviously, like, you want to go out there and play. I'm going to give it everything I have for these guys. I know they're going to give everything they have for me, and that's – you know, that's the beautiful thing about a team. It doesn't matter how pretty it is, you just want to get the W. And that, that's it. It doesn't matter how you get it, just get the W and keep on going and uh, play for each other, and that's how you do it. So that's my mentality. Doug Peterson was not available to the media today, but check this out. He wandered over to our Sports Center live shot out in front of Novacare Complex between meetings, and I asked Doug, I said, Doug, how is Nick Foles handling all the funk and the noise outside this building? He said, you know what? He's very good at compartmentalizing. Media over here, fan reaction on social media over here, 
practicing film study over here. Nick Foles, he said, is putting everything in its proper box and getting ready for some football. Funkin' the noise out there. Nick Foles working in here. Got that, Michael? I got it. South Powell, always in the middle of things. They're on that Al Green in Philly. I know that everything is going to be all right. Top seed of Philadelphia enters this weekend's game with Atlanta as a three-point underdog. Be the first one seed to be an underdog in its first home playoff game. And you know what? With all due respect to Nick Foles, since he took over, that leads to why the Eagles, uh, they rank in the bottom third of the league in most offensive categories since Carson Wentz season came to an end. For whatever it's worth, I got Saints-Falcons in the NFC Championship game. Ooh, nice. So, Steph Curry out tonight against the Clippers. He slipped and was unable to finish shoot-around. Re-injured that ankle that cost him 11 games. Injury about the only thing that could slow him down these days. In five games since returning from that right ankle sprain, all wins. He was averaging 35.2 points, shooting 57% from the field, and connecting on 33 or 62 three-pointers, looking very much like he wanted to get his third MVP. Uh, Israel Gutierrez, your tailor is the real MVP. Move that microphone, dog. Show, show off that combination. Please move that microphone. Boy, look. Look at here. Come on, You better get a lot of sideline right attention to tonight. Six. You know that, Mike. Exactly. Hey, what more can you tell us about the severity uh, when it comes to Steph Curry's ankle injury? I can tell you it's not very severe at all. In fact, the head athletic trainer said there's no x-rays to be taken, no MRI to be taken. It was just they're internally calling it a tweak. So really, it's not anything that is going to keep him out for any extended period of time. The team in particular, especially Steve Kerr, sort of taking a Greg Popovich approach to this season overall, resting guys, siding on the air, on, uh, airing on the side of caution, rather, and making sure they come back at 100%, and including rest days like you're seeing from Clay today. And this injury to Steph isn't going to change that. Clay is still going to rest as well. Right, and this is the luxury of having a Kevin Durant. One guy goes down, the other one comes in and joins the 20,000-point club at 29 years old. Israel Gutierrez, we appreciate it. Thank you, man. Thanks. All right, that was pretty clean. Uh, there's Andrew Wiggins. Remember, nice deck. It is. Remember early in the season, hit that dagger, which, you know, Carmelo probably was a moving screen on him, but it doesn't matter. It was a great play. All good. Glad they didn't make that call. Uh, let's talk about this game here. The Timberwolves are 10 and 5 of the last 15 games, have the best offensive efficiency and a top 10 defense in that time. And that means they have the best net efficiency in the NBA over that span as well. And that has them comfortably in the fourth seed and set to end the longest active playoff drought in the NBA at 13 seasons, having last made the playoffs in the 03. 04 season. And I bet in 03, 04, Jalen Rose's hairline was just as clean as it is now. Thank you for joining the show. <laughs> second best on the show right now. <laughs> Who's the bigger threat uh, to the Warriors between these two teams, Jalen? Uh, is it Minnesota or Oklahoma City? I see we're taking Houston out of this conversation because they have James Harden and CP3. I think they we're validated this themselves. Game. We're just talking about this game. Try to keep it there. You guys are such highly trained professionals in promoting our matchups. We appreciate you for that. That's why I love your show. With that being said, you have to say the Oklahoma City Thunder. Here's why. They have Russell Westbrook, and the reigning MVP has shown me that he can lead the Thunder to the playoffs without Paul George and without Carmelo Anthony. Now you add both of those players. Paul has found his stride, leading the league amongst the league leaders in three-point shooting, leading the league in deflections and steal. Carmelo Anthony has found his rhythm offensively. Steven Adams always gets overlooked in this dynamic. He's having a terrific season defensively, rebounding the ball, catching lobs, doing all of the dirty work. And that's not to overlook Minnesota because I really like what they've done as well. And for all teams that want to build through the draft or with young players, and we talk about this a lot in today's NBA, 
in particular with the Philadelphia 76ers. Think about what the Wolves did. They acquired Wiggins. They drafted Towns. And obviously, when you have those level of productive players and you're able to bring in somebody like a Jimmy Butler, he now becomes a game changer, somebody that can close games for you. So I like the fact that Minnesota is going to be in the playoff hunt and a legitimate threat to advance further than they have with this group. But I have to go with the Oklahoma City Thunder in this dynamic. And obviously, because you sort of mentioned it, kind of teased it, clearly you consider Houston to be the bigger overall threat uh, in the West to Golden State. Now, um, right now, getting back to this game, ESPN's BPI gives the Thunder and T-Wolves a 46% chance of meeting each other in the first round. So between, if this was a seven-game series between these two, who you got? I'm still going with the Thunder. You have to look at the point guard situation for Minnesota. I know Teague is probable for tonight, and I really like him. He's a former All-Star. He's a veteran. Jamal Crawford is a closer, one of the best we have in the games, and one of the best one-on-one performers we have in the league. But still, you have to look towards the experience of OKC. And I like to judge success based on realistic expectations. And this offseason, when we saw both of these teams be put together, we were like, man, if Minnesota can make it to the top four or five, that's a successful season. But for OKC, it's like, we expect this team to make it to the conference finals. So based on that dynamic, again, the answer has to be OKC. But let's not act like the Minnesota Timberwolves, led by Tom Thibodeau, won't be nipping at their heels. And let's not act like we haven't seen OKC kind of struggle and be up and down all season. And who knows, if they continue to struggle, who knows what this team might look like when that trade deadline comes up, because you never know. Uh, Anyway, we know you're always good, Jalen, so thanks again (laughs) for joining us. We appreciate it. I appreciate the love. Thanks for having me on. For this week's divisional round matchups, is inexperience facing some serious experience? Drew will surgically take a football scalpel and just cut you apart, and he does it better than anybody. Case Keenum has been a huge reason why this team has been good all year. Keenum fires to the end zone, touchdown! Even though he doesn't have experience, he's got a great defense, he's got weapons all around him. The Saints, they are good enough to win the whole thing. So are the Minnesota Vikings. This is going to be one of those games that's really close. You have Ingram there, who's that between-the-tackle type guy. Mark, he can do everything. I love this defense. At all three levels, they are exceptional. You know they have a good defense, a strong defense, but we feel like nobody can stop us. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got to sing. You got to get to sing a little That's bit. That's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, Talking NFL playoff pressure. I like your choice voice. better. Yeah, yeah. This sweet, no, for sure. I know you know about that, Woody. That you know pressure? About- yeah. <laughs> no, about the pressure, about new addition. The important things, but no okay. worries. As we said, we're talking about playoff pressure points in the divisional round. So let's start with the Saints-Vikings. What's the most pressing concern for the Saints heading into this divisional matchup? You know, I'm going to go with the. I'm going to go with the secondary. Even though this is secondary, at 20 interceptions, third in the league behind the Ravens and the Jaguars. They had Cam Newton kind of kind of sliced them up last week in the, in the wild card round. So. You know, Kenny Vicar wanted to start to say that he's, you know, he's on IR, been out on IR a couple weeks. But that's something that bears watching because one of the things that he was really good at uh, communicating on the back end, making sure guys are lined up, it's going to be a big challenge for uh, for that Saints secondary this week. And, Mike, right. you seem to think that uh, it'll be a Saints-Falcons. 
I do. All right. I do. Okay. I'd also like to just see Armageddon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like, like, it's for the, a right to go to the Super Bowl. It's real. Exactly. That's for sure. What about on the flip side? Vikings' biggest area of concern. I want to go with Case Keenum, and not because Case Keenum has been balling this year. He's been like a dark horse MVP type, but just the fact that he's in this position. He's never been in this position before where, you know, you now you're, you know, I always call this, this is the best week in football, the division round, home game, opportunity to try to put, have that home Super Bowl. It's going against a, a very formidable Saints, Saints defense that they got sticky fingers on that side of the ball. He has a bunch of weapons, but he's never been in this situation before. So, we don't know how he's going to react to it. All right. And some other NFL news we saw with the Seahawks. They got rid of Daryl Bevel, mm-hmm. got rid of Tom Cable. Uh, are they just making these guys the fall guys? Like, what's going on there in Seattle? Well, I mean, listen, clearly when you look at the Seattle, the Seahawks offense, they, obviously it starts with the offensive line. The offensive line, we've been talking about this for years with Seattle. Look, Russell Wilson has been running for his life back there, basically being Houdini in the pocket. That can't last but so much so much longer because that athletic ability is going to start slowing down. He's going to take more hits. So, you know, I understand with Pete Carroll, you got to mix things up. But they got issues in the locker room. They've been – things been boiling kind of underneath the surface as far as the players kind of sniping against one another, against coaches. Yeah, the scheme needs to change, but they're going to have to change some personnel in that locker room to kind of get things patched back up over there. Yeah, personnel seems, and personality. Yeah, yeah, it seems like a lot of personnel will change when you think about the fact that Michael Bennett could be gone, Richard Sherman's coming off an injury. Like, it's going to be a shakeup yeah. uh, to that team either way. Earl Thomas, tomorrow, come get me. You, uh, you talked about uh, Cam Newton a second ago. Noah Turner reemerging, according to David Newton. Now the uh, – just, we're just details. dusting coaches off, huh? <laughs> <laughs> to make him the OC in Carolina, good fit? Um, I think so. Listen, Noah Turner, Turner's been around a long time. There's no question about it. I mean, dating back to the early Cowboys when they had that championship run. Um, it's going to be interesting because if you look at the stats, you know, the last few years that he was off as a coordinator, I mean, they're kind of pedestrian, mm-hmm. at, at, you know, statistic-wise. You know, statistic so can he, can he make Cam more of a pocket passer because Cam – the, that way they were running that offense, taking too many hits. Cam's got to step it up as, as more of a pocket passer. Can North get it out of him? We'll see. Well, it's also a question of weapons, too. I mean, I would say, like, the Greg Olson, we already know what he can bring to the table. but And they got Christian McCaffrey as, again, another possibility, hoping yeah, they, they would emerge. They, but beyond that, it's kind of like, they need, hmm. they need They need more pop on the outside. Yeah. But Cam has never been a very accurate quarterback. That's why they've had these big receivers on the outside. All right, Woody. Well, thanks a lot for joining us for yeah, your, yeah, your yeah. insight. Yeah. Um, sure we'll see you around as we go further. Oh, you know All right, what? But you won't do the electric side for us, but that's okay. I'm not going to say anything. No, I'm a, I got a janky ankle. Oh, so, is that yeah. what it is? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is this the year Durant passes LeBron as the best player in the NBA? Durant takes to the rim, and he got it! Well, the great ones can do this. Kevin Durant's not asking for our recognition. The man is snatching it. Blocked by Durant! The effort this guy has given defensively is incredible. I always wanted to be, like, dirty guy, like, get deflection, playing in the post. This new Kevin Durant we are seeing. I don't care what people think about me in terms of being a villain. Kevin Durant's got ejected for the third time this year. We lost. They kicked our ass. I mean, the rest run the game. They called a foul, so keep that on Twitter. It is the NBA Finals rematch. Durant. For three. Comes up with a block. To the rim. Warriors prevail. I have respect for, like, all that he's put into his draft and what he does. He's an all-time great. 
You know, I'm a class ass full guy, right, you know? Mm-hmm. No Blake, no Steph, Clay Reston. But you get Durant on the precipice of history, which I'll explain in a moment. That's the second game of our doubleheader. After us is T-Wolves Thunder. And then you get Warriors Clippers. 12 straight, I think, they even won against the Clippers. Mm. Once upon a time, that was a rivalry. Oh, yeah, meanwhile, the Celtics and the Sixers are in London having fun. Hello, mates. <laughs> hey, Celtics fans. Hello, Celtics fans. I will see you in London. Make sure to watch us at O2 Arena. The Queen will be there, will you? It's game time here in London. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's game time here in London. We'll see you in London. Hi, Celtics fans. We'll see you in London. I haven't been there since Wimbledon, like, oh, two. Got to go back. Um, <laughs> let's start this VPM contact with Bruce Arians, who's out here fueling Nick Saban to the giant rumors. There's a job he covets. It just happens to be open. and uh, But he, he's got a dynasty right now. Another dynamite recruiting class. Um, why he would do it, I don't know. But uh, it would not shock me if he did. Let me go ahead and tip my cango to Bruce Arians. <laughs> just welcome to the media, brother. Right. Just, just, come <laughs> just throw it up there and see if it sticks. It was kind of a lukewarm take because he said that he thought he coveted the job. And then he said, I then he listed them. Right. I wouldn't be surprised. And he gave a list of reasons why he should stay at Alabama. <laughs> I just don't think Nick Saban is going anywhere at this point in his career. No. I think that. You know why he ain't going nowhere? Because Miss Terry ain't going nowhere. There it is. And he said as much. He was exactly. like, she's happy. I'm happy. That's kind of the end of this. So, sorry. So remember I told you that I missed Tua Tungvaloa's touchdown pass because the app was, I'm sorry, my signal was acting up. See, <laughs> get it right? right. Remember I told you that? Yeah. That was, that was better than the reason why Maker Fitzpatrick, the Alabama All-American defensive back, missed that historic touchdown. <laughs> I was going to the bathroom on the, on the sideline. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I could tell like which side was the Alabama side. So like Alabama side was to the left side of, of our tent, and the Georgia side was to the right side of our tent. So the left side started cheering. I knew it was us. We got the first down and we scored a touchdown. That's how I knew what was, what was going on. In fairness, it just taking a sack. Right. Secondly, when you got to go, you got to go. Well, like, I, how long do you think he was holding it? <laughs> probably longer than we think. And I almost missed a lot of this, if not for the app, because my cable went out. And I won't mention the cable company's name, even though I really want to right now and put them on blast. Don't mention sponsors. Just I, pro, I'm not. I'm tip. stay away. Pro stay tip. away. But it's not that many. <laughs> you can guess. All right. Uh, Raptors Heat. A lot of heated exchanges in this game. Uh, Serge Ibaka, though. James Johnson. You don't want it with James Johnson. Well, maybe on the basketball <laughs> really? court. Yeah, yeah. Both ejected. They've received a one-game suspension. That's an MMA guy. Traded some punches. You're right. You don't want to do it on the court. Now, do you consider this a legit NBA fight? As today's standards go. They're going to miss, unfortunately, all just decided they're going to miss some key games this week against the Eastern Conference. Then, of course, you got DeMar DeRozan and Goran Dragic. They also got into it a little bit after the game. Very heated. So Georgetown banning cell phones for their January 20th game against St. John in a certain section of the arena, I should point out. Not the whole part, just a certain section. Part of their actual reality promotion for the game. Uh, Speaking of cell phones, so I watched the uh, Undercover High on A&E last night. And I'm just amazed at how much kids can have cell phones in classes. They should make the people in that section, like, actually get people's phone numbers. Ooh. Like you have a pocket full of numbers. Like, oh, we had like to do, back in the day. Like we had to do. We couldn't just slide in DMs. We had to actually ask you for Get your man. So uh, this is David Bartell. <laughs> just a little short. It was the shirt. 
That's what it was. Isn't it was it restricting what? his movement, right? <laughs> Looking like Chuck, don't he look like Chubby from Team Wolf? <laughs> Talking about winning the end. I've got to win in the end. Well, did he think that doing the hook shot? Like, did he think taking his shirt off was gonna give him some extra motivation? Like, this was, up a little bit, right? He's just like, now I know I'll make this shot because, yeah. hey, look, do you? He had a third try. He'd have made it. All right, before we call a day, who had a good day? It was a good day for that woman there. It was uh, Serena Williams. She's on the cover of Vogue magazine with her adorable daughter, Alexis Olympia Ohanian <sighs> Jr. Uh, phenomenal story, very revealing. And for more about what this story is about, here is Robin Roberts from GMA. When Serena Williams gave birth to daughter Olympia last fall, it seemed like the natural conclusion to an easy pregnancy. I felt you kick yesterday. It was amazing. Just but this morning, in the February issue of Vogue, the Queen of the Courts is revealing the dramatic story behind the birth of her daughter and life as a new mom. Williams saying she had to deliver baby Olympia by emergency C-section in September, saying the moment her new daughter was laid on her chest was an amazing feeling, and then everything went bad. After feeling short of breath, a CT scan revealed that Williams had a pulmonary embolism and other blood clots, which set off coughing fits that burst her C-section incision. She then had to have additional surgery to correct and prevent more clots from forming. The whole time, Williams and her now husband keeping her condition private, even as they shared quick glimpses of their new baby girl online. So we're leaving the hospital after we had a lot of complications, but look who we got. We got a baby girl. Williams says after arriving home, she was bedridden for six weeks and making the adjustment to now being a mom. The 36-year-old saying, no one talks about the low moments, the pressure you feel, the incredible letdown every time you hear the baby cry. I've broken down I don't know how many times. Why do I feel so sad when I have a beautiful baby? The emotions are insane. But now Williams says she's almost back at full strength, showing off her moves in this new video for Vogue, embracing life as a new wife and mom, and hoping to return to compete in March. I know you got two for one in there, Robin Roberts and Serena. I know. Uh, what I love, though, about the piece, though, is is that it exposed a lot of the vulnerability that she had. And now at least people know why she isn't coming back for the Australian Open and therefore waiting until March. So my wife has shared our testimony on Facebook. Mm -hmm. She just finished Gabrielle Union's book. She talked about her difficulties yeah. with, uh, with childbirth. Um, it just helps when people share these stories. It inspires and uplifts a lot of people who are going through the same thing. We see the Serena's the same way. Uh, once again, Kevin Durant, 25 to become the second youngest ever to reach 20,000 in his career. Don't take that for granted. Let's appreciate what this man has been doing. It's obviously been a lot of criticism surrounding him. The all-around player he's become. It's the second game by doubleheader. Right now, Thunder T-Wolves. We'll see y'all tomorrow. Good job out of you. <laughs>